Well, we are back in 1 Corinthians, and uh, last week Don was kind of kicked off the section we were in uh, of chapter 7, and we're kind of talking in this section about uh, marriage and singles, some particular messages to those, uh, those people, and, um, and so I think this week we're going to be talking about the benefits of the single life from 1 Corinthians 7. Um, but before I pray, I just want to just kind of read a couple stories, uh, or at least accounts, of some people that I came across. This first one is by a woman named Delaney, which I don't have a picture of, but she's from California. She said this. She said, like so many of us, I really get caught up and brainwashed by the idea of having a, quote, timeline for my life. Most of my friends are either engaged, married, expecting children, or already mothers. It's wild how comparison can weigh on all of us if we allow it to. Sometimes I fall into the comparison trap and feel like I'm falling behind at times. I definitely feel a continuous pressure to find my person and worry about when that time will come. It doesn't help going out to friend and family functions where everyone reminds me of how great I am and continue to ask me, are you still single? Or when are you going to meet somebody? I know I have so much going on for me. I'm a college graduate, I have a steady job, good friends and family, opportunities to travel, but I still get it in my head and frequently worry that I will meet my person and when I will meet my person and settle down. This creates unnecessary anxiety in my life that sometimes carries on into my relationships and work. Everyone's journey looks different and I shouldn't feel less than just because I'm not married or don't have marriage on the horizon. In reality, nobody is worried about my lifeline and my lifetime uh, but me. It's entirely self-inflicted, and I wish I didn't spend so much time worried about marriage when I have so much else that's going right for me. Then I have a second story. A gal named Barney, and she said this, about herself. Widowed at 47, I've spent the past 10 years as a single parent, bringing up my daughter Molly alone, busying myself with small struggles and pleasures of daily life and feeling increasingly astonished of how quickly time passes. During that time, I, f- I have formed many deep and lovely friendships with both men and women. I like male company. I was brought up with two rambunctious brothers and enjoy different energy they exude. But while There have been plenty of male connections which brought me joy and support. A significant other was stubbornly failed to materialize. Soon I'll be 60. Time to take stock. In a puff of smoke, the past evaporates behind me, complex, colorful, and permanently out of reach. Now what? My daughter is finishing her degree this year, so just as I got used to being without her, she will be, as in the modern way, coming back home again, for at least a while, but the past three years of increasing solitude have forced me to reflect deeply. Is this how it's going to be from now on, sailing single into the sunset? Is that a bad thing of sadness or triumph? Well, triumph would be too strong of a word, but satisfaction, slowly growing, deeply felt, is certainly something I experience more as the days go on, tumbling onto each other. I have begun 
through both necessity and choice to enjoy my own company, and I know when to, speak, to seek people in places and noise and when to be quiet and alone. There is a balance to be learned in this process between an inner and outer life and a moving towards an acceptance of what is rather than constantly wondering, what if? It wasn't easy to get to this point, to feel so comfortable in my own skin as a single person. It is rather a process I've gone through as the weeks and years have flown by. To be frank, I wasn't the marrying kind in the first place. I'm a writer, after all, and we are notoriously solitary beasts with an inordinate need for space and time for a room of my own, as Virginia Woolf insisted. So when a wedding did happen, when I was 35, to the lovely, reliable Tim, a solid piece of Yorkshire stone on to which to rest my weary sparrow's feet, nobody was more surprised than me. Either way, we both found our way out. Now, my daughter is all that set uh, apart this life. And me, I miss the developing of my marriage into something enduring and constant because Tim was taken so young with cancer. I miss the male attention. I'm a romantic and enjoy being wooed. But after years of feeling cheated of husband and a partner, I'm finally coming to peace with the fact that this is it. Here I am, on my own. We don't talk about that a lot as a church, probably. Perhaps in single company, those conversations come up. But you know, there is real loneliness. There is real heart, heartbreaks. There is real sorrows. There are longings. There's fears. There's questions. You know, is this my life? Is this the way it's going to be? And I think in this upside-down world, I don't know that we've really seen singleness from a perspective that, that God would have us see it. Because when the Apostle Paul was addressing this subject, he actually felt that this is a, 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 a way of life that could be envied. That's not second class, but it's actually something to be desired and something that comes with real blessings. And so as we look at God's word together, I want you to open your heart, open your mind to consider the truth that God gives us about uh, this single life. So if you'll join me, we'll pray together. Lord, we, we do know that there's ones who are and have been longing to be married who've not felt that you've given them any kind of gift to stay single, and yet here they are in that season of life. And some have felt the pressure from well-meaning people around them, family and friends, looking forward to the time when they might join them in a married life. And we know some who have been married by issues of divorce, issues of broken uh, relationships, issues of having been widowed. Um, they find themselves now alone and without the blessings that they experienced in their married life. And so, Lord, we, we know in our mind, at least, that worldly wisdom is not your wisdom. And we've seen through other preaching series that the truth of this world is usually not truth at all. It's, it's upside down. 
And I, I'm aware, Lord, that how we view singles and the single life sometimes is upside down and that you have a different way, a better way. Lord, we need your perspective because your ways are good, acceptable, and perfect, cannot be improved upon. And your thoughts and your wisdom is higher than the wisdom of men. So we ask for humility as we hear. We ask for hearts that are laid bare and open before you as we consider what you may call us to. We pray for hope and joy and peace to follow us the rest of our days. Thank you for David when he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So we anticipate, Lord, that you are true and you are faithful to your word. And you will accomplish what you give us this grace for. And so we ask for your help now as we hear your word to receive it and to believe it and to to take steps as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, especially in verses 25 to 40, uh, the big idea that we're going to be looking at is this. Singleness is a blessing and a high calling to those believers who are assigned and gifted to be single. Singleness is a blessing and it's a high calling to those believers who are signed and gifted. And I want to start back with uh, Don's message last week because I think that that's foundational in how we think about the singles um, and how we, if we're single, are thinking about our lives. And so, as a review... We learned last week that we are to live as you are called. Live as you are called. And so I want to review this briefly, but I can't improve on what Don said last week. So if you didn't get to hear Don's message, uh, it can be life-changing. It can totally alter the way you're looking at circumstances in your life or where you are in your life. And this is the section that runs right up against this discussion about being single as well as being married. So this is why I think it's so important that we look at this once again. So it says this, starting in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Has anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. We'll stop there for a moment. Just a couple reminders from this section here. It says here in this verse 17, it says that the Lord has assigned and called us, has assigned us to something and called us to something. And I don't know if you ever think about, you know, that word calling that way, 
you know, I know a lot of times when people talk about they were called by the Lord, they're usually talking about, you know, being a pastor or being a missionary or something like that. When were you called, you know, and people have their stories of how they knew that. And you think about the calling, say, of a missionary, you know, uh, it's heroic, it's sacrificial, but people I meet are, you know, generally speaking, don't envy that. They don't envy that calling. Like, okay, you're going to ask me to leave my country, leave my family, and leave the foods I like, some of the freedoms I experience here. You know, I'm going to, you know, leave a lot of things that I love and I am accustomed to. And you're going to ask me to give my life in some sometimes very dangerous, difficult situation. Who would want that calling? Well, to those who experience the grace of God and the longings of God, that's the life that they, that they love. And that's what, as they give themselves to that life, you know, they find that their love and their satisfaction and their, their longings fulfilled in that situation, even if it is difficult for them. But God says that callings are not just for pastors and, and missionaries, you know, it says, he's talking to all of us because it says, only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And I, I love that he uses this, only let each person, because he's trying to make sure nobody finds the loophole that they don't have to listen to what he's about ready to say, you know. He says, like, only do this and only let each person do this. And then he kind of, after he tells them, you know, lead the life you've assigned to, what God's called you to, he says, this is my rule in all the churches. So he says, just so you would think, okay, he's just talking to the Corinthians here. He says, no, no, this is what we say everywhere we go. So I think that, you know, knowing that this is the text that we're going to be, uh, that follows when we start talking about the single life. Understand that God himself knows you before he ever formed you in the womb, before you even had a thought, God knew you, God cares about you, and God called you. And God assigned to you good works and a life that would bring glory to him and even fulfillment to you. It goes on, in this next slide here, it says, were you a bondservant when called? Now, look, think about these other things. We're, talking, we're going to be talking about singles and married, okay? We're going to get to that. But just think about these other callings we're going through here. Circumcision, okay, that would be bad, but maybe that's not the worst one here. Being a slave, that would be tough. That would be super tough. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who is called is a in the Lord is a bondservant, is a freedman in the Lord. Likewise, he who is free is called as a bondservant in the Lord. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So this goes beyond, you know, your calling to be single or married or some of those kinds of things. Now this says, you know, whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstances are, you're called to, you've been assigned. He says, 
That's God's assignment to you. Whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. I love that he has on that section, let him remain, not by yourself, not suck it up and be, be courageous or something like that. It says, let him remain with God because that's where God is going to meet you in the most powerful and intimate way. In the circumstances that he called you to, and you think, God, this is a mistake. This, this can't be your plan. This can't be what you've assigned to me because I know that you love me. How is it that I can be in this situation and he says, in that situation, you know, God has assigned you in that condition that you've been called to, let him remain with God because that's where God is going to meet you in your, in your circumstances. And I, and I, I can't, I'm, I'm not saying to you that I could do what you do. I don't. I, don't, I, I can't fathom some of the circumstances that some of you have experienced. I feel my life has been very, very easy in many, 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 many ways. And my circumstances don't compare in any way to much of what some of you have suffered or are suffering right now. I think by the grace of God, recent sufferings that I've gone through are are softening my understanding and my heart to truth of God's nearness that I, I, I need to learn so I can be a better pastor, so I can empathize, you know, with those who are, who are in difficult situations. But it doesn't take away the truth that God has given us a calling and an assignment and circumstances that he wants us to glorify him in, and he's going to be right there with you. He's going to be right there with you. And we can just walk through the Bible if we wanted to take the time and see how God called people to very, very difficult circumstances, sometimes lasting for long, long periods of time. But God, in each one of those circumstances, was with him. The only time that that God wasn't with his loved one in a difficult circumstance is when he forsaked, he forsook his son, Jesus. That's the only time. To you and I, I'll never leave you, he says, nor will I ever forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? But there was one who was forsaken. And that's your Savior. And that needed to happen in order for him to make the exchange for us. That he died for us. He left his father. He was, he was separated from his father for you and me. And if you've never experienced the joy of knowing him, of putting your hope and trust in him, could I appeal to you? Because all the things that we're going to be talking about and living out a perspective like this, that God has called us to a single life or a difficult life or trials in our lives or anything like that, if you don't have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the presence of God, if you don't have a knowledge of how secure you are in his love, then let me invite you to talk with with someone who brought you or perhaps one of us who can share with you how through faith in Jesus Christ you can experience an abundant life no matter what your circumstances are. And no one can take away your joy and peace. 
No one can rob you of those things. They may take away your happiness in the sense of happiness in your circumstances, but they can't take away something that is deeper than that, which is a confident joy. Nobody can take that from you. No circumstances can steal that weight from you. And the, the missionaries I read delighted in their persecutions because they experienced a living Christ in a way that most of us rarely ever know. So live as you were called is our first point. The second point is there are benefits, believe it or not, to being single. You might say, really? Let someone else have that gift. You know, I don't, I'm not looking forward to that. I don't want that. But there are actually, uh, the Apostle Paul goes through several different benefits that come from being uh, single. And I think he's trying to lift up and go counterculture with people saying, look, you really, really, in many ways, you have a blessing here if God calls you to this single life. So let's read this first one. This first one is present troubles. He said this in verse 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, and that's someone who, like, think about Mary when she was betrothed to Joseph, and she wasn't together with him yet, but as far as the Jewish culture was concerned, they were already kind of married in one sense. It just hadn't consummated that, hadn't gotten together yet. But they were. So he's talking to a single person who's not really with their spouse yet, but they're betrothed. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Now, in our culture here, we're, we do get you know, some level of persecution. But you know, in the New Testament times and in many parts of our world, in fact, persecution is the, is the greatest it's ever been. There's more people being martyred for Jesus now than there have ever been in history. So we, we're kind of in our little bubble, even though we, we, you know, we see uh, marks of persecution beginning, perhaps, But for many, many people, you know, life is dangerous as, as a Christian, you know. There were people, there are people in China, there are people in India, there are people that I know, people that I've met, you know, who have spent years, years in prison. Now think about, you know, the, the, the missionary who's thrown into prison and they've taken away everything from their, his wife, his children, they're ostracized, they lose their job. And the, the, the person in prison has to bear that in their minds, thinking, what is happening with my family members? What is happening to my poor wife and my poor children? You know, the difficulties that come, uh, the present troubles he was talking about, because as we get toward the end of, of the age, when, as, as we're approaching the time of Jesus Christ, we know from the scriptures that things will only get worse. We know that things will head from bad to worse and that things will be very difficult. And because of that, you know, there were present troubles already that were happening in the New Testament. And he says, look, persecution, jail, family torture, 
I mean, the, the, again, the biographies I've read, you know, family members are hurt, abused, killed in front of family members in order to get them to renounce their faith in Christ. And saying, you know, that's going to be bad for all of us to think about, but if it's your wife, it's your husband, it's your kids, he says, I want to spare you. I'm going to spare you. This is an advantage that you, you have uh, because some of those spouses, some of those married people, they, they have no control in that situation and they just have to bear it. Worldly troubles. And we, could, uh, we can see that coming and, and, and already happening in our world today. And secondly, time is short. Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as those who have no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that we miss this message because we live in such prosperity. Or we've walked through enough ages of, you know, decades where it's like, he's coming back this year. Jesus is coming really soon. We've seen all the signs and wonders. And we kind of can get to the point, we kind of get lulled into, yeah, that's what we talked about in the 70s and 80s and the 90s and 2000s. And it's not as urgent anymore. But you know, 2,000 years ago, it was urgent, the return of Christ. And people were adjusting their priorities. They were adjusting their lifestyle. And he's even saying to the married people, hey, you're married, but you know, in one sense, you should realize that we don't have a lot of time to fulfill this mission. We don't have a lot of time to complete what Christ has called us to do. This is not our home. We are tent makers here. We are sojourners here. This is a season that we have to accomplish the work, and then we get to go home. Then we get to be in paradise. This isn't it yet. And so the Apostle Paul, he's urging them, look, if you're married, that's a gift from God, but don't take full advantage of that, or of your kids, or of your station, or of your finances, because we really, we really want to invest it all, no matter where we're at, we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to hasten the return of Jesus Christ and bring this gospel to all peoples. Not as a kind of a secondary thought if we have some time, but as a primary reason that we're still here is to accomplish his work, is to fulfill his mission. And that, that, needs, to be, that needs to be stirred up among us. When people used to, you know, greet one another, Back in the New Testament times, they would say, Maranatha, which means, come Lord Jesus. They were keeping that in front of them regularly, that the time is short. And we don't have a lot of reason or time to be wasting whatever opportunity we have. So, the form of this world is passing away. Everything you and I own everything you and I are giving our life to that's here in this world, other than the, the souls of men and the word of God, it's going to be gone. Or it'll be remade into something better and we'll, we'll get it in heaven, you know. 
So the time is short. And as a, as a, uh, as a believer, and if we are still single or in a single season of our, our lives, we have all the more opportunity to give ourselves to eternal things. We have all the more opportunity to give ourselves to eternal things. He goes on in verse 32, how we're to be free of many worldly anxieties. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man who is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to, be, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The advantage of the single is there's many things of this life, including a spouse and in some cases children, that you don't have to worry about. You're not preoccupied with those things. You don't need to let those things dominate your time. You can give yourself more fully and more devote, be more devoted to the Lord because of, your single, because of your single situation. Now, many singles don't use that extra time for, you know, to be more devoted to the Lord. They kind of hop into the schedule as everybody else is doing it, and they think that. But the reality is, one of the reasons that you were called to this, to this way of life is so that you can be much more given to eternal things and to the mission. Don't, don't hear me say that loving your wife and loving your kids and all those things is not eternal stuff. In, in one sense, it is. But the Apostle Paul is making a case here that you actually have a lot more time to give yourself to the things of God. I mean, I remember in my married years with my, all my kids and stuff like that, how, how people were just looking, looking, looking for some way to steal 15 minutes from the schedule of the day so they can get some time with God. I'll tell you what, I get hours every day. I get lots of easy, it's very easy for me to get time with God, even though I still live with, you know, part of my family. But not being married, I can, I can drop into devotional life, you know, all the time or regularly, regularly in the morning, regularly in the evening. Uh, I don't have to come home right away from things. I can stay longer with people. I can invest in, you know, opportunities where somebody starts bringing up some spiritual conversation or question or counseling situation. My schedule just flips. And if you're single, you have that advantage. You have that advantage. A married person, they're thinking about the sicknesses that are going around. They're preoccupied with COVID right now, you know, much more. Uh, they've, got, they've got more problems around them. They have the emotional problems of their own, their own situation with their husband and wife, with their kids. You know, they're thinking about doctor's appointments and dentist appointments, and they're th- running around getting their braces adjusted. And, you know, just, there's just so many things you're doing. You know, we need more diapers. We've got to go to the store today. Or, you know, there's just always good and important things that are happening, but your life is just filled up. With the things it says here, worldly things. And it's not saying those things are bad. They're necessary. They're important things. You just have to attend to all those things. 
But if God hasn't given you a spouse and if God hasn't given you kids, then you, are, you can be more devoted to not only your walk with God and your relationship with God. You can extend your quiet times if you want. You can study books if you want. You can grab friends and get together and pray if you want. You can get involved in that person you had that conversation with on your job. You can actually meet with them because you've got a schedule that allows you to do that. You are free, more free than those who have familial responsibilities. You're not worried about the, the, the child, your, your, your child that's strained from God, or you're not worried about the fact that they're starting to get involved in drugs or the relationships that they're getting connected to. You're not, you don't have, not that you don't care about those things. Of course you care, but it doesn't fall on you the same way as it does on someone who's married. And so you're, you are blessed. You are blessed because you can devote a holy life committed to God, set apart from God. Now, I don't agree in any way with the, the denominations that, you know, make, make all the pastors, you know, be single or the priests be single or things like that. I don't think that that's what this is mandating or suggesting. Because the reality is some people are called to this and some people are not called to this. But God would have you say, see that this is, this is one of the reasons he has set you apart for this calling. Because he wants you devoted to him. He wants you devoted to his things, his priorities, his mission. And all the things that don't hear me saying that those family things are not his things too. But those are worldly. Those are for this life, a lot of those. And then we see, starting in verse 36, another reason is if you're gifted, if you're gifted for this single calling or this single season, if you're gifted, you will be happier You'll be happier. Let's read this section here. Verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she will be happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. So he's talking about this, this, this marriage that's been arranged. And you've got a betrothal period. And they're not really together yet, but they're kind of set apart. And he says, look... If you guys are kind of burning towards each other, you can't really, you can't, this is really a distraction. Things are happening in your physical relationship that shouldn't be happening. He said, look, maybe you should get married. Maybe you should get married. But, he said, if you could be single and she could be single, that's even better. And so he's built his case there and he says, um, to the woman who's, husband dies, it says she's free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. That means, you know, God has other requirements, like you're not supposed to marry certain people who had unbiblical divorces, or you should be marrying someone. If you're a believer, you should be marrying a believer, and so forth. 
So in the Lord, that means, you know, don't discard everything I said when I said you can marry whoever you want. You need to marry somebody that would be biblically sound in that situation. But he says, in my judgment, really, you'll be happier. You will be happier if you remain single, if you can, if that, really, if that makes sense in your situation. And he says, and I think that I have a spirit. So I think he's saying, I think this is, I think this is a God thing, I'm telling you. So we learned back in verse 7 of this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, it says, I wish that all of you were as I, I myself, but each has his own gift from God, uh, one of one kind and one of another kind. And so he says there's two different kinds of gifts we're talking about here. We're talking about a gift to be married, and we're talking about a gift to be single. And God has called different people to different things. And he says, you know, if you have that gift to be married, that's good. That's good. If you have that gift to be single, he says, that's better. That's better. There are many of us, maybe, who are in between those two. <laughs> think, you know what? I don't, think I, have the, I don't think I have the gift to be single, but I'm single. What about that, Greg? You know? And it's interesting, the word gift is, is the word charis. Uh, charis, and excuse me, charisma, and, uh, and, the, and the word grace is charis. So God gives us grace in that single period, even if you're waiting to that time where God is going to have you a spouse, a spouse for you. God is going to give you grace during that time. And yet, at that time, it seems as though here it says, uh, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, which I, that's where I think he's talking about, this is too hard for you two. You're just distracted in your, tempted, in your temptations here. His passions are strong. If it has to be, do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not sin. It's not sin. So I think that, you know, from this text here, he's talking to us about, I think, the indicators to you as to whether you got that gift or not, to be single or, or, or married. I think God will give you grace. By the way, you know, as pastors, we were talking about it. The fact that you're drawn to a, a relationship, that you, you want to get married, you're, you're eager to be married, you desire to be married, that's not sin. That just, that's just letting you know how God has gifted you. You know, so if you're longing for that, you're desiring that, you know, and that's a distraction to you, and that's hard for you to remain single, but you're doing your best to, you know, you're trying to walk righteously and how you what you do with those desires you know it's not sinful that you desire to be in a relationship you're attracted to the opposite sex there's nothing wrong with that that just says you're good and human but you know but but at this time god is saying wait or i'm going to give you i will give you another gift so my point my point in that is there's grace for those who are waiting and there's gift for those who are gifted to stay, to stay single. So the big idea that I just want to just mention once again, singleness is a blessing. It's a high calling to those believers who are signed and gifted. You know, um, There is grace for those who are waiting. It's not sinful that you desire to be married. <laughs> It's not wrong that you're attracted. That that's just shows probably where your gifting is. 
what you do with that craving, what you do with that desire could lead to sin if you don't, if you don't, if you don't respond to the grace of God. And I think for those who are single and those who, who find themselves in a single situation, that, that is where you know, prayer, counsel, encouragement, help you know, can help us to, to rely on God. But the fact that that remains and that persists may give indication to the person you don't, you're not going to, you should, you know, you're not going to be in this situation. You shouldn't be in this situation until God releases you. But, you know, there's an indication there that there's a gift to be married. And I know I'm opening some cans of worms and there's going to be some questions and that's fine. You can all go to Don Sharp. Uh, the youth pastors in this church are, I'd be happy to talk to you as well. Uh, and as you know, I'm in this season. I'm in that season myself. Um, and so this is all new for me too. But I believe God. I believe God. And God says that this is good. And Paul says, hey, if you can do this, you're going to be happier. And you will have more opportunity to be devoted to the things of God. That's exciting. It really is. It really is an exciting thing. And it doesn't mean there's no trial. It doesn't mean there's no testing. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. You know, it's difficult as a, it's difficult as a married person. It's not all that people think it is, you know, who are on the outside looking in. It's just, you know, there's a lot of fighting going on. There's a lot of disagreements. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of hurts. There's a lot of, it's not all like happy, happy all the time necessarily. So there's, there's challenges wherever God assigns you and calls you. But I, but, I would, but I would bring these applications for us to think about. Um, if you've never, by the way, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, what I'm asking you and promoting here doesn't make any sense at all. You know, I would love to talk to you about that which would probably serve you most and talk to you about how you can have a relationship with Christ in a way that changes your life, changes your heart, gives you a whole new perspective and a whole new joy and peace in your life. And that would be the starting point for, for some of you. But to the marrieds out there, I would say this. Do you believe that singleness is good? Do you believe that singleness is good? Now, you're viewing it through maybe your perspective, which is marriage is, is like, this is like the best. And this is like really good. And I feel sorry for you because you're not married or something like that. Do you believe what Paul said here, that, that it's good? In fact, it's a high calling. In fact, he said, I think you would be happier. And what does that look like when you're raising your kids and you're like hoping and praying for their spouse, you know, kind of thing? Are you leaving room for God to have a unique calling? Now, the reality is the majority of us are going to be called to be married. The majority of us. But there is a calling and there's an assignment that God made a long, long time ago before you even knew that child's name. And God said, no, my assignment for this person is, is not what you would want it to be. There's not going to be any grandkids come up through this, necess- this situation necessarily, this child. Do you, do you leave room in your heart for your kids to be single? Do you, how do you communicate to them? And how do you communicate adults to your single friends? Are you, are you kind of in your good intentions? Are you kind of putting a, a pressure on them? Like, are you, are you dating anybody yet? Is there anybody special? And it's not that it shouldn't be praying for them. 
But I would urge you to, to line up with God and say, you know what, this is, this is not a bad situation. <laughs> this, is really, this is really a good situation, perhaps, for that person. Are you helping people who are single or are you stumbling them by, by what you do and say and by your thoughts and your attitudes? Because it'll come out, you know, my, uh, I didn't ask permission, so I won't use any names, but uh, I come from a large family, as you know, six kids in my family of siblings and so forth. And my parents had put all the pictures of all the grandkids up on, the, on their walls and stuff like that. And, and there was a wall of the ones who were not married, and they had their own little wall, you know. And as they would come off of it, they would kind of gather together at family reunions and say, you know, we're still in the hall of shame over here, you know. <laughs> or the wall of shame, the wall of shame. And as they would come, as they would get married, they'd get to move off that wall, you know. Where, where are you married people in your heart about the, 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 this, this blessed call? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a high calling. Paul was, he was saying, he keep, kept throwing in there. But if you need to get married, it's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. But he had a, he was, and I think by the Holy Spirit saying, look, if you, if this, if you can receive this, this is actually better. This is actually better. So some of us who are married need to kind of retool our own thinking and line up with what God's word says rather than kind of, kind of bring in the, the cultural thinking because it's wrong. It's just not right. Um, and again, if God's given them a, a desire and a passion to be married, we want to pray for that too. We do. But we need, we need to line up with God's timetable as well and, and, be, and know that contentment is a, is a season right now too for them. And grace. Um, if you're close to that person, perhaps they would like your help and your counsel. Uh, maybe if you're in that situation where you're single and it's a struggle for you, maybe find someone, an older brother or sister, you know, in the Lord, who may be able to help you walk through that season because it's, it's going to be tough. You know. To singles, um, if you have strong passions to be married, that is not sinful. That's not sinful. That just means that God has wired you for that. And so you shouldn't beat yourself up and thinking, I'm such an evil person, I'm, I'm, I'm desiring this. You know, that's not wrong. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That means that shows you how God has, has wired you. But what you do with those feelings and those emotions and those thoughts, it is important. And again, you may want to get some counsel from somebody who you respect and you think can help you walk, walk through that season as well. Um, being single married are gifts of grace, and we need to see, we need to believe, we as singles need to believe that as well, that this is, this is a gift, this is, a, this is an assignment, this is a calling. Do you have faith to be single? Have you determined in your heart, as he talked about here in chapter 7, are, are you like settled in your heart, like, Lord, I'm okay, I'm good, I, I embrace what you've called me to? Are you settled in your heart? Because that's where we'd like to get. We'd like to get to the point where, you know, God can still move us even if we got settled in our heart. But if you're always kind of, a tur- it's always turbulent, you know, that's robbing you of the joy of the season you're in. Singles, are you investing more of your life now because you're single into your devotion to God, your devotion to his people, your devotion to his mission? Are you giving yourself to that? 
If you just sit back and you just long for something else, you won't be happy. You won't be satisfied. But if you invest your heart, where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You give yourself to God and you get to love him and know him better and you, he will be your all in all. He will be your husband and he will be your satisfaction. And that's where I'm at right now if you want to pray for me. I am trying to love Jesus more than I've ever loved him in my life. And that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. And again, I want to give myself now, as I'm freed up in one sense, to more of devotion to him and his work and his mission, his people. Because I have that opportunity now. So let me pray. Worship team, why don't you come on up? Lord, for some of us, we, we believe this, and we already agree with it. We're experiencing the, the grace in our season. Yeah, we might like some of the, the freedoms and the joys and the blessings that come in a, someone else's situation, Lord, but you are good, and your ways are, are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. And your plan is good, acceptable, and perfect. We can't really improve we would like to change your plans sometimes, but we, we know your plans are right. And so, Lord, there may be struggles in all of our hearts, and there may be, maybe there's a different thinking, and we've not, we've not really yielded to the reality that you have purchased this that says we've been bought with a price, and we really don't belong to ourselves. We, really are, we really belong to you, and we really want to be available to your assignments, to your callings. And so, Lord, we, we want to, we want, God, we want you to be true and everything else is a lie. Would God be true and everything else is a lie? If it contradicts what you said. So bring us in line, we pray, with what you say. Because we know at that place, we'll know you in a powerful way, in a, in a precious way. And we will experience your grace for what you called is an abundant life. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.